This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome guys to episode 344 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome on the show Darren Olean. Now, Darren is the man behind Shakeology. He's the author of Super Life and he also starred with Zac Efron in the Netflix special down to earth where they traveled around the globe showcasing some incredibly progressive innovations whether it's in the environmental side or even in the food side so we cover a host of topics in this conversation from the baruchas nut to nutrition and disease prevention resilience of the human body and so much more before we get to that interview though please just take a moment go to whichever app you listen to this on subscribe to the show leave feedback i do love reading your feedback and leave a rating Every five-star rating really does make us more and more visible for people looking for a project like this. And this project is a free library of the greatest minds on planet Earth. So all I ask is that you pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Darren Olean. Enjoy. Darren, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast. James, super stoked to be here, man. I am very, very excited. So where are we finding you on planet Earth today? I'm at my home on the land in Malibu. Beautiful. Now, you, do you have any of those fires near you at the moment? Uh, they're mostly up north. So, you know, California's quite big. But, um, yeah, so they're up north. But, you know, it's dry everywhere. It's You always get a little nervous. Um, at this time of year. 
Right. Well, I'd love to circle around to obviously why Wildland is uh, pertinent to you, but we'll get to that as we chronologically move forward. You have a very interesting beginning of your life, though, so I'd love to start with that. So tell me about um, your family dynamic, you know, what your parents did and how many siblings and obviously, you know, your actual birth itself. Oh, yeah. So I had uh, I have an older brother, um, kind of middle, you know, middle America came from Minnesota uh, middle class. My dad was an agricultural professor at the University of Minnesota. Um, and so, you know, he he was basically educating farmers. I didn't realize how influential that was uh, later in my life. But um, and mom was just always around, uh, just letting us uh, be kids uh, and was very active um, running around. But but, you know, my my birth started out a little shaky. So, you know, I was three and a half pounds. I was premature by about two months. Um, I had a 50, 50 chance of surviving. Obviously I chose, chose the surviving part. Um, but I was without touch for the first two and a half weeks of my life in an incubator and hooked up to monitors and stuff. So, so that was a little dicey uh, from what my mom has shared. And, um, and then I had some challenges. I had overactive thyroid. I was, uh, you know, I had a resting, resting heart rate of 120 beats per minute. Um, they, they thought that my lungs were under, underdeveloped. Um, I had headaches in school. I wore patches on uh, a weaker eye. Uh, I had some just weird, like water on my knees. I just had a bunch of weird stuff. And so my, which was kind of beautiful as it kind of informed right away that, Hey, this is, you know, this flesh that we have is very susceptible and vulnerable. And it kind of set my trajectory of like, you know, once I kind of started becoming aware of food at like 13 kind of, but then like 16, I started realizing that what, what I was putting in my mouth made me feel better. And, and then I picked up my first dumbbell and started really going, Oh wow, I can, I can gain strength by my actions. And that was a profound moment. Uh, and I've never stopped, you know, learning and growing and, trying to keep what I was informed with early on and that was keeping away the vulnerability and realizing that we have so much choice um, that could create strength in our lives and our bodies yeah well I've had a few people on the show you know that, that were the heavy kids you know so their their kind of wellness journey is normally loss of weight you know and, and becoming great athletes but I was kind of similar not so much a sickly child but just very very small you know very um, uh, undersized compared to most of the people around me all the way till about 18 years old. So it's interesting hearing it from, from the other side of someone who, who kind of fought to gain weight to finally, as you said, and, uh, ended up playing football. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a fragile. So like, listen, we're all getting all this, yeah, information from the world, from our parents, from our peers. Um, so I, I was definitely informed, you know, uh, that I was weak. Um, and so 
uh, it was definitely supported by what was going on in the body. And so we're all, you know, we all have to deprogram ourselves eventually because if someone was overweight, well, of course, then they're going to get all of those horrible kind of, um, uh, kind of programming from the peers and the environment and everything else. And so kind of no one gets out of jail free. You're going to get hit with, you know, some sort of weird indoctrination of, of some story that is impressed upon you by culture, by family, by dynamics. Um, so that was for sure. I can relate to that one. And that one was kind of that fragility early on and then trying to overcome that and empowering myself in that way. So I think it's all, all a journey of empowering ourselves and, and shedding that which isn't us and was like thoughts, feelings, and emotions of other people almost projecting onto us, which is a whole nother deep dive. But, but yeah, it's, 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 I think the journey kind of comes one way or another and you have to shed yourself in order to gain yourself. Absolutely. I just shared a goal cast video the day and it was, uh, a young man who basically was, you know, had, had learning challenges. And so he kept being told what he couldn't do. And the kind of aha moment of that video was a mentor came into his life and said, well, no, look at what you can do. Forget about what you can't. And I think there's a lot of parallels even with nutrition and exercise these days is we're, we're constantly being told, oh, you're 40. So you should be on blood pressure medication. You should have diabetes by now. That's the norm. And I think that's the complete opposite way that we should be educating our men and women. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the case? I mean, that's just the most insane way of living I've ever heard, right? So it's like, why would you buy into this idea that once you hit a certain uh, chronological age, that then therefore you have this kind of indoctrinated list of issues? Like, that's, of course, you can fully support that by your actions, right? You can fully not take care of yourself, not move, eat like crazy, eat junk like crazy, and certainly support that. And, uh, but, but the idea that this is now your lot in life um, is, is just insane. And so I think that the more we, but to, in order to liberate yourself, you have to also turn around and take responsibility for the things that you can take responsibility for and and empower yourself through that and that's not always an easy chore because you have to unpack why you're treating yourself in certain ways shame blame sadness anger fear and we are you know if we think other people have done us wrong uh we it pales in comparison of the voices in our head that is creating judgments and shame and and all of that stuff on a daily basis. So it's a, it's a constant, uh, kind of, again, relearning of who and what we are and, and certainly not taking in what and putting in front of your life, what you can't do. Um, like, you know, some of the greatest motivation in the world is from when people are saying, you can't do something. And the people that done a bit of work on themselves, allowing shame to be lower on their totem pole, then they can go, well, you know what? That is not accurate. And I'm going to prove them 
wrong. Um, and so that's, that's where life, you know, kind of gives us some, some, uh, you know, gives us some issues, right? So it's like, whether we can look at the, the world from this is happening to me, or this is happening for me. And you can look at all of life that way, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. So, so anyway, but yeah, um, I agree. There's, there's a lot we can do with what someone is telling us we can't do, but it all depends on what you want to do with that information. Either buy into it and be a victim or buy into it in another way and, and, and use it as motivation for your life moving forward. Absolutely. And that's something I talk about. That there's two parallel paths and people will argue one or the other, but the ownership is definitely an element of it. But then the environment is too. If you've made it very hard for people to find clean food, to access, um, you know, exercise, to talk about how they're feeling, you know, then, then the ownership element is going to be less likely. But if you create an environment for people to thrive where all the food in the community is healthy and exercise is, you know, abundant, then that ownership of the individual is going to be far more likely. 100%. I agree. I mean, it is a big, you know, it is, it is that that's a big Pandora's box. And this is like, you know, all change comes by way of someone completely uh, wanting something different and then immobilizing that being a leader and then creating, creating change moving forward. But, but certainly if you're coming from a, uh, a, a cultural difference or economic difference or, um, uh, you know, family dynamic difference. Yeah. You're certainly coming from that place where it might take some inner strength to, to put yourself in a better position. But my point of view is don't ever stop, right? Even though your circumstances are what they are, don't ever stop and, and keep finding the tribe uh, moving forward, you keep being a leader in your own life, and that will that will immobilize and create other leadership uh, and other resonance with people um, to to always strive to put yourself in a better position. Um, there, there's there's just no there's just no lack of self motivation that's that's going to um, not support you living a better life and moving forward. So, um, yeah, so that's a big one for sure. Absolutely. Well, speaking of your journey then, so you went from, you know, not working out to finding weight training and enabling you to join the football team. And you also detail in the book about initially not eating well either. So what was your journey from, you know, pre-exercise, pre-good nutrition to, beginning the the road to understanding nutrition and being an advocate for healthy eating yeah so well so yeah so that imprint as a kid growing up I, I just you know I was eating regular food like uh growing up in the 70s um and so meat and potatoes and cheese and all of this stuff and you know eating a light iceberg lettuce with very little nutritional um aspects and it was really and actually drinking about six bottles of of old-fashioned coke uh coca-cola every day almost medicating myself in a kind of early red bull years of <laughs> overstimulation of of sugar and caffeine um there was a moment 
at about 13 where I saw this article uh, in a in a newspaper and I for some reason I just saw it and I read it and this kind of you know fruit grapefruit diet uh, so I just ate a bunch of grapefruits uh, whether it was healthy healthy for me or not uh, was another question but what I did was I stopped doing all this other stuff for a bit of time for about I don't know like three to five days and I just eat like tons and tons of grapefruit and I was amazed how amazing I felt and uh, this was at 13 uh, and so again that informed something but then you know I can't I was just a kid so I wasn't preparing my life to eat all differently necessarily but it did leave a lasting impression and then at 16 when I started kind of training I started putting more sophistication to eating uh, and then and then I just gained like you know with the training and weight training and eating a little better you know I just gained a ridiculous amount of weight so just strength and so then I you know was uh, a lot more functional uh, playing uh, college uh, American football, uh, high school and college, and and then I had a career-ending injury, and then that career-ending injury, a lower back uh, injury, just set up the next. Uh, instead of being a victim again, this was a moment like you can either choose this path or this path, and it got me motivated to learn about the body in more of a professional way. So uh, I changed my major. And I went into physiology, nutrition, kinesiology, uh, all of this stuff. And, and, um, and then that kind of set this curious uh, person in me about this is a miracle of this, this system that we have uh, in this relationship between food, this relationship between what we're doing or not doing in terms of exercise and movement. And so – that changed my life. That, that again, that challenging event uh, of my life being stopped by uh, injury uh, changed my life for the better. Uh, so that started me on the nutrition stuff. And, and, um, and then again, I jumped kind of into seeing the world in terms of looking at food and food systems and supplements and realizing that there wasn't a lot of great stuff on the market and realizing that why are people doing what they're doing in terms of formulating this stuff. So then I just started digging into that, started formulating with certain herbal and herbs and botanicals. And then a certain light bulb went off. I'm like, well, I don't trust what I'm even formulating with. And so I just then jumped into uh, the, the small town kid surrounded by farmers, I just said, well, in order for me to really understand this world, I need to actually meet the farmer. Um, so I, that's, that's what started this superfood hunting side of me that was really just innocent, um, uh, and wanted to understand botanicals that are not traditional um, learn about them on, on the ground in the countries of origin. And so I started traveling around the world, uh, investigating certain herbs. And every time I'd investigate one, I'd come back with 25 other ones I've never heard of. Uh, and that started that part of my life. 
Amazing. So tell me about some of the the big kind of aha moments you had when you were traveling, like some of the countries that you saw the the success of some of the foods they were eating. Well, it was it was really the lack of success of some of the the, the initial like people don't really know where anything's coming from and there's so many ways that this can go wrong. Meaning that there's so many different ways that that you can have this beautiful, uh, you know, adaptogenic herb maca root in the Andes of Peru and have this incredible compounds that can help your endocrine system and deal with stress better and uh, help modulate testosterone and estrogen. And But if you don't grow it correctly, if you don't process it correctly, and if you don't have alliances within processing facilities that can do it right in those countries of origin you're just going to get a product that ends up without the compounds that are have any efficacy at all and you're just marketing a prod product that isn't really benefiting anybody so that's what happened and i you know some of those first you know travels were to the mothership of of the medicinal plants and that was on the Peruvian, uh, certainly on the Peruvian Amazonian side and the Andes side was Peru and some of the first kind of discoveries were there. And then the more I kind of uh, dug into it, the realization that so many of these plants are just completely underutilized and not done correctly and not transparent in terms of where they're coming from, who they're coming from, and how they're processed in order, in order to make this tincture or this powder in a way that's not just a beautiful marketing story, but as actually there as a as an aid for your body and and as a um, you know something that's been used to, uh, some thousands of years. Um, so how can we make these actually efficacious in a way that's here? Um, so that's, that's what just opened that up. And then, you know, 35, 40 countries later and 15 years of doing that, you come to realize like if you don't show up, uh, and really have the teams, uh, not only your own eyeballs, but teams of people, um, understanding how to, bring somewhat of a third world uh, situation of farmers and growers and foragers and collectors into that world that's fair for them, good for the environment and good for the end consumer, uh, you're just going to lose because it's it, if you don't understand that process and understand the culture and understand that uh, also botanical and how it should be handled, then it's just not going to work out well for um, having an effective product. Yeah, well, that's that's a good segue to something I want to ask you. I thought it was very powerful in in the book. Again, was I think a lot of us are aware that a lot of our food travels a long way, and I think that's one of the the biggest um, you know, catastrophes of of the last few decades as we've gone from local you know, organic or natural farms as they were then to these mega farms, these monocrops, these, you know, international food journeys that our food is making. Um, but 
you talk about the loss of nutritional value by removing, you know, picking or, or digging up these these fruits and vegetables before they're ready so they can survive these journeys. So I'd love to kind of pull that information out of your brain because that was, that was kind of a new principle for me. Yeah, indeed. There's a lot around that, right? So the monocropping is clearly, if anyone wants to, you know, dive into that, just look at the research that's been around the early 1900s on the loss of, of micronutrients and food quality um, from the way of monocropping. And monocropping is just a way that we try to adapt in all, you know, in all processes. We are trying to adapt to a way to cr- create food for the amount of people that were uh, um, popping up. So it, the, the intention was good. But then they quickly realized that that the way that they were doing it through tilling of the soil, so you're losing, you're disturbing the microbiome uh, of the soil. So uh, you're disturbing all of that, and then you're losing the actual topsoil. And then if you keep planting the same plants with no cover crops, with no uh, diversification, you're just stripping that soil. And it doesn't. It's not able to be fallow. It's not able to be regenerated. And so through that, we've we've realized that this this kind of stripping and depletion has happened. And so you're you're sitting there in this lack of nutrients. Again, they've known this. There's a report done in 1935 to the agricultural community by the government saying that you know we lost basically 99% of our nutrients that we once had. So we're, we've been in this deprivation for so long. So we have to, and we've been proving, and Dr. Zach Bush has been doing a lot of great uh, work around this pl- uh, point. The nonprofit Farmers Footprint have been supporting farmers getting back into regenerative agriculture, and they're, they're proving that within the first year out of the chemical world, uh, that they're gaining profits again, they're getting nutrients back in the soil, which is how creating a more fortified uh, uh, food and plants. Uh, so it's this whole world. So so in this modern day world of some kind of kind of the other side of like, okay, well, yes, let's support local grown, let's support organic agriculture, let's support. Uh, regenerative agriculture. Let's support biodynamic. Let's support um, non-chemical farmers markets. Let's support our local people. Let's grow our own food. That's number one. Like that's like let's get back to that. In this, in the you know, we lost the, in the in the 60s and 70s. There was literally 70 percent of the homes in at least in this country, America was growing their own food in their backyard. And now it's point, gosh, it's like 0.1% or some very low number. Don't quote me on that, but it's extremely low. So so we're, we're, we've got to get back to that. So we give that micronutrient density that uh, back in our normal day eating practices. And then you have this far other reaching situation where, you know, I've formulated with some of the greatest botanicals in the world, but they're coming from all over the place. So the the justification there is, listen, we're lacking. 
we are way, way behind the eight ball in micronutrients. And that's vitamins, that the cornerstone of all of the elemental action in the body is, is our mineral profiles, magnesium, calcium, phosphorus, manganese, copper, iron, all of these things and on. There's about you know 60 to 80 of those that we need from our food. Um, so then from the formulation perspective, like, listen, we're behind. We're not getting what we need. Uh, and we're also stressed out of our minds. So that's where the let's let's grow these. Let's support the indigenous farmers around the world and do this correctly and uh, and then bring those other botanicals back to kind of help us in this modern day stripped version of our, of the nutrients that we're getting. But I just want to emphasize like, listen, our cornerstone for our health is eating our local food, uh, you know, sleeping, moving, drinking good water. And then, yeah, we do need to supplement with, you know, some powerful herbs, botanicals, adaptogens, uh, and micronutrient plants. Brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that is, I think, a misunderstood element of farming. And I had uh, Joel Salatin on a couple of times and he talks about, obviously, he's, he's a meat farmer as well, but he talks about, you know, the, the rotation of the pastures, how the cows come in and the pigs and the chickens are pecking behind that. So the, the, um, the quality of the, the ground is producing, you know, much better, um, even grass for the meat if someone's a meat eater. But, you know, that rotation, understanding all these different, um, you know, plants and fruits and vegetables that there's a reason why they all plant and, you know, some, some plant well with, with others. Some don't, <laughs> don't want to grow next to some, but it gives us that biodiversity. It, it allows you to pick it and then literally eat it the same day or a couple of days later. And I mean, another huge thing, like you said, is the carbon footprint. We've seen what happens when we do some good things towards the environment because the coronavirus showed us that in the first few weeks, even though it seems to have been forgotten already. But, you know, to, to trek, like the avocado I just ate this morning was from Mexico. I know they could, they could grow them here in Florida, the same species. So that's the thing for me is, is for us understanding how much better our food would be if we just supported those local farms is, is a principle that I think really needs to be driven home. Hundred percent. Like, yeah, I think I think yes, I agree. The the fragility of our food systems, the way that we again we started with a good intention, but now we're so far off any sustainability, any true regeneration, um, and any remote idea of sovereignty. Right. So we are so reliant on these mega systems uh, that it becomes a very volatile and fragile system for the individual, the individual family. So if we literally just consciously as consumers go back into it and go, OK, well, if I literally look around, there is farmers there are farmers markets. I do have some land where I can make uh, a raised bed. Um, I do have, you know, if I'm in an urban situation, there are great companies doing aquaponics where you could, you know, all of a sudden have your own 
uh, uh, salad every day by what you're what you're growing. So there's a lot of different decentralized uh, momentums that we need to start getting into. And listen, everyone wants, I think, and this is, this is, I would imagine everyone wants freedom. Everybody wants sovereignty. It doesn't feel good when a system is shut down for whatever reason. And then you're like, oh, I have no food. I have no way of eating. I have no way of protecting my family or feeding my children. When we're that reliant on centralization, then that is a that is a that is a broken society from my point of view. So we need to get back to sovereignty. We need to do and just start simple, right? Start with trying to grow your own food, becoming aware it's not difficult just takes a little time and the empowerment that that gives you the fact that you just picked your own lettuces and chards and and maybe even a fruit tree uh and then you're eating that and yes there is a micronutrient drop off by picking things early because the fruit itself has, has a lot of compounds in it that are keeping other animals from eating it because it's not matured yet. So, you know, those green bananas that are picked like two and a half weeks early, that's just a mechanism they're using so that they can get those bananas to wherever they're at. But then it's this long ripening process. And usually in that ripening process with the tree, the shrub, the plants, they 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 generate a huge amount of nutrient delivery in that last bit of ripening. And we're missing out on that. Not to mention within the first two, two hours, there's a natural form of, uh, sulfur called MSN. That is very MSM. That is very good for the body and inflammation and joints and everything else. So, so, you know, we're missing out on that. So if we can, if we can grow our own food, forage and, and, kind of realize that we don't have to be completely reliant on these systems. If we just do something every day or every week or every month to, to empower yourself, that will just feel good and it will help the, the burden of the system as well. Absolutely. And that also seems to explain, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the reason why a lot of our fruits and vegetables don't taste as sweet. You know, you get a big punnet of, <laughs> of strawberries, you know, like these, are, these aren't, aren't even very you know, tasty and, and they should be super sweet. And it reminds me of a trip I made and I was in Fiji during the military coup, funny enough. So there weren't many people there. They were all scared away. But um, one of the local Fijians climbed a um, papaya tree and cut down papaya and cut it right in front of us. And I think it's the closest thing to a mouth orgasm if there's such a thing <laughs> I've ever had. It was it was amazing. But I mean, again, uh-huh. it reminds you know, like when I grew up, we had blackberry bushes on my farm and an orchard with apples and plums. And yeah, I mean, that there's so much common sense to a lot of what we're going to talk about. And that's one thing. Imagine if your local town had orchards. And so the apples that your children ate literally came from, you know, a crop that wasn't sprayed in pesticides and they went straight to... You know, to their lunchbox. I mean, how powerful is that nutritionally and I mean ethically as well? Exactly. Yeah. And and the and the, the the bounty, not only from a nutritional standpoint, but you you nailed it there because it's the taste. 
So if you're if you're constantly exposing children specifically or us too to food that's just doesn't taste that good and it's been oversprayed, it's been monocropped, there's just it's been pulled out uh, um unripened it's just not enjoyable. So the idea of vegetables and fruits uh, for people that are exposed to that poor quality, they're not excited to eat it. Their bodies aren't lit up from it. I, like you, have been exposed to, you know, you talk about that, that those apples and that strawberry. If you eat a strawberry that's ready to go and ripe and you eat that, there is – there is, it is a mouth orgasm. It is a lighting you up on on so many levels. You talk about the I, I, you talk about the papaya at a mango in Senegal, and Senegal claims that like they have the best uh, mangoes on the planet. And I ate about six different varieties in a farm, and it was one of the greatest like food experiences ever. Um, so you know, I've gotten to be around the world and eat some of the greatest foods in the world. And, and when you realize that that's nature's candy, that's nature's gift, that's, that's medicine, that is, that is um, sensual, that is, that is gifting, that is uh, just every sense about it. So if you can have and walk out and get your own food, you're just not only going to just be connected and then you have the whole microbiome connection to the microbes and the and the the timing of when you're eating things and when the cycles of life and the cycles of plants you're in in union with that it's just we don't realize how important all of that is i love the world of the 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 biohackers are using this thing of like you know you know go back put your feet on the ground and get grounding and then you know look at the sun as it comes up these are just infinitely ancient ways that we've always lived and so now the greatest biohack uh medicinally you can do and for your health is is start cultivating your own food or at least have it very close to you through finding other farmers that that absolutely want to sell their food to people that enjoy it and will benefit. Absolutely. Well, I want to I want to ask your kind of perspective on something. I've talked about this a lot as a, as a paramedic, as someone who's also ex phys grad and you know an athlete my whole life. You get to see kind of behind the curtain of a lot of the for the, you know for lack of a better word a lot of the bullshit that we're all taught growing up, and I'm kind of the same generation of you as well. So I had to unlearn a lot of the things that I was taught, whether it was exercise, whether it was nutrition. Um, but yeah, two things. I 100% agree. America is overfed and malnourished, and I it's not a conspiracy theory to look at the economics of the way we do healthcare, especially in. America or disease management to also see that there's no money in healthy people and there's no money in dead people. So keeping people chronically ill is, you know, is making some people a huge amount of money. So from your perspective, I'm a huge believer in this. People are told that so many disease processes are quote unquote irreversible, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, and I think, you know, cancers. What have you seen with the power of food, with all the traveling you've done, um, as far as that being a fallacy and, and being able to change a diet and therefore an overall wellness? <laughs> 
Well, that certainly is a Pandora's box, isn't it? Um, beautiful. Um, well, I mean, listen, uh, the, the, the American Medical Association, from my point of view and from what I've looked at and talked to many researchers and other like incredible doctors, it's, it was built in a foundation that's not correct. So if you're building a model that is a germ theory where you catch things, then that's a perfect model to then come right behind it and say, well, oh, you're catching that. So therefore, we've got this this drug, this shot, this pill to fix you. So it puts you already in this victim kind of place. Uh, so I, I don't believe in the germ theory. I believe in the, in the environmental theory of your, of your body, the host theory. And, and, and so just as a foundation, you know, there was this, uh, incredible, uh, French chemist called Anton Bekemp, who was a microbiologist in the early 1900s. He was the best microbiologist of his time. Uh, he was doing more to the contribution of the microbiome than anyone uh, uh, on the planet, and you could argue even, even still. But then there was this great kind of orator, uh, Louis Pasteur, that everyone is familiar with. So Louis Pasteur was saying, well, you know, you, you, you catch these things and you're promoting the germ theory and he was a great, uh, he could rally, he could talk, he could all, and Anton Bekemp was like, that's not what the science says. The science says that in our, in our body's ecosystem, you create an environment that either invites the proliferation of disease, bacteria, virus, and you name it. Or you invite it out. You don't harbor it. So at the very core, he was saying how you take care of yourself and the environment inside yourself will be an environment for bacteria, virus, fungus, or it won't be. So doesn't it make the biggest common sense if I go take my trash out and the trash guy never comes. That trash sits there. What shows up in that environment if the trash just sits there and putrefies? Well, bacteria, virus, vermin, all of the things that, that come to that area that need to show up to that environment to take, it, take care of that. So the same thing goes on the body. If you're throwing, throwing junk in your body, and you're just eating whatever, you know, non-voltage creating food, like dead food, uh, processed food, not a lot of fresh vegetables. You're, you're creating acidification in the body. You're creating the body's ability to not harbor a lot of oxygen because of the acidification on and on and on. So you're creating an environment that invites uh, bacteria, virus, fungus, and then opens yourself up for the longer you do that, the more your environment is a detrimental place. But the intelligence, and this is the important thing, the intelligence of bacteria, virus, fungus knows where it can proliferate. So it has its own intelligence of wanting to survive. So if it comes into contact with me, 
and it doesn't deem my environment and my body conducive for it to live, it's just going to move on. It's not going to sit there and harbor. And, and not to mention it's not, you know, but if I come in to contact with someone who's had antibiotics and they've had basically all of their microbes kind of destroyed and they're healthy and bacteria balance is off and the environment is full of toxins and poor eating habits well that's a great place for the the setup and the the creation of more and more of that unhealthy environment so i hope that makes sense but that's the foundation that i believe in and so it's again it puts you back on just common sense does isn't it common sense to get good night's sleep because they realize that if you get one less hour asleep a night, I believe it's your immune system is compromised by 30%. Okay. So make sure you get a good night's sleep. Make, make sure that you're eating a lot of whole healthy foods, diversification, a lot of colors, a lot of antioxidants and micronutrients. Make sure you move your body. It's all just common sense, right? So, so this is where I just, I don't like to take the idea that I'm that I'm catching something I have no control. Of course, there's infectious diseases that you don't have control over, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about degeneration. The word itself is already cluing you in on on that situation. If I just treat my body a certain way and if I fill it full of junk, then it's 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 going to break down and it's and it's certainly going to cause harmful stress and that's not going to serve you over a long period of time for sure and if you add that up over days months years um then then that's what that's what shows up yeah well you hit on a good point too with the audiences listening whether they're in the medical profession whether they're first responders corrections dispatch there's a lot of shift workers so the one thing they can't control apart from on their days off is the sleep most of us are awake all night so that really leans on the other pillars of health to to offset that so if we're not not only not sleeping but also making poor dietary choices we're compounding the problem however if we make good dietary choices at least we can stem some of the damage Hundred percent, and it's and it's all in pre- preparation, 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 right? So if you know you're going on a twelve-hour shift and it's flipping your schedule, and you just got to prepare. You got to make sure you shopped ahead of time. You got to make sure what you're bringing with you. You got to make sure you're 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 prepared and bringing enough water and not relying on someone else's water that's been sitting in a truck and and leaching plastic and like you just have to prepare but once you get used to the preparation as anything then it's just part of your daily habits and a part of your work habits and everything else so it's just empowering then but like you said yes if you're the job itself is stressful the the scheduling is is crazy right so you've already got two things you need to double down on everything else, right? You got to stay hydrated. You got to rest when you can. You got to move your body to keep it active, keep the lymphatic. You got to try to take breaks and go outside and get some good sun sun exposure and keep the vitamin D high. You know, there's a lot of things 
that you can do to be proactive. And that's the thing. We have to take our health into our own hands without a doubt because if we don't, our future will just be sprinting towards some sort of blowout or regenerate degeneration. Uh, and my point of view is I just don't want, I just want to push that as far out as I can. I want to be able to do whatever I want to have a body that's not breaking down so that I can have the life and the energy for life in the pursuit of what I want to contribute in the world. That's the fulfilling life. I don't want to be set back or I just don't have the energy or uh, my body's breaking down. I can't respond or I can't play with my kids because of my uh, whatever or my you know back is too sore because I haven't moved in a week or <laughs> whatever the excuse. We have to stay proactive because life is always moving forward. And if we don't stay on top of it, it's just a setup for a lot of uh, challenges. Absolutely. Well, I think that this uh, this COVID, um, you know, virus that's sweeping through the planet at the moment, it, it's been infuriating coming from a wellness space to see the lack of discussion and education on wellness, on using this as a, you know a moment to springboard changing what we feed our kids in school, changing our farming practices, changing how we view mental health. I mean, all these opportunities that we could really, you know, the new normal to me should be a healthier country, period, not masks and sanitizer. I bet that's warranted until it's not. I get that. But but as a funny story, when I was just finishing up the book that I've just written, my editor responded to me and said, hey, you put some statistics in there. I want you to make sure that they're right before we before you print it so that they're up to date. And one of them is Okinawa. And that island, when I was writing the book, had five deaths and the highest concentration of centrogenarians on the planet. And I went back and I'm like, oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's nine now. <laughs> so, you oh, know, and th these are the, some of the most elderly people, but they're known for their positive attitude, their, their, um, playfulness, their exercise, their sea, sea and seaweed based diets, you know. So to me, this COVID is holding a mirror up and where we're seeing, you know, a lot of loss of life. We have to look at what we're talking about today. How are people eating? How are, how are they moving? And if we have an obesity epidemic, hypertension, diabetes, cancers, why are we not discussing that? Why are we not addressing the ill health, the the the, the broken down walls of the castle that's making our people so vulnerable? Man, you're so right, and and it it is a big one. And you know, I I have no answers for the systems that are not addressing these very very important issues. Um, and you know, I just did an interview with Dr. Joel Furman who's a medical doctor, a researcher, and he, uh, through an eloquent way of breaking down statistics, he basically, through BMIs, through other measure measurement systems, uh, through lack of degeneration, he basically said of the three, what is it, 300, uh, 330 million people in America, there's about two, I think two and a half percent of people that are actually healthy based on uh, strict protocols. So that being said, two and a half percent of the 330 million. So we're 
we're we're we're not only talking like you said like we we have the high levels of people like who have cancer who have heart disease who have diabetes these are from other markers saying the all of these other people all of these other people are sprinting the 97.5% of americans are sprinting towards and are already in ill health and are sprinting towards the the manifestation of all of this stuff. So if you throw in this virus that Dr. Zach Bush does a beautiful thing of how viruses are obviously they're 10 to the 30 power already in our air. That means 10 with 30 zeros behind of behind it are already viruses in our air, viruses in our water, viruses uh in, in the land and the food and everything else. So 10 to the 31 uh, in, in, in soil, 10 to the 31 in water, and 10 to the 30 in air. And so this, these viruses are trying to basically upgrade us and update our operating systems because of this stressful uh, situation that's coming through our society. Well, how the hell is anyone supposed to upgrade anything? When, they're, when there's potentially 97.5% of everyone in America that is already in a very, very compromised situation. So how are we supposed to adapt? We can't because we're not even, we're not even uh, thriving in our quote-unquote normal situation. So yeah, it just raises a massive, massive, huge questions of like, we literally, we have to actually take health care out of the equation. That is just the worst name we give this drug system that we have. It's horrible. It's not health at all, and it's not care at all. It's this drug reaction to people falling apart at a scale that we can't even compromise. We can't, or we can't even understand. So, so yeah, I mean, the fact that we're not having these discussions about uh, vitamin C, breathing, increasing your oxygen levels, micronutrients of fresh vegetables, and like it's, you know, 40,000 pages of research uh, or studies out about plant-based eating, for example, like supporting good health and fact that we have zero of that coming out is just a society that has everything turned around um, is a society that um, unfortunately uh, doesn't and it isn't proving that they're uh, supporting health at all and so my 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 reaction to that is of course that needs to change but we literally are opening up our mouth every day we're selecting food and we're putting it in our mouth. We have to go back to the things that we can control. And if a more of us become healthy and we get back into the right statistics, then we have more energy. We have more that we're able to do. We have more pressure that we can put back on these systems to try to change things again. Because okay? I think wide... A, a big population, big community of people 
uh, is really the only way that things are going to change. It's not going to be coming from the systems that are already profiting and benefiting from what has been in place. It has to be by the awakening of the people at large. Absolutely. Well, to underline that, uh, an example I use a lot, and I heard you mention it in the book, so I'd love to get you know you to describe it, but the relationship between impotence and heart disease, because I think that's a terrifying statistic. And right now, you know, all we see is erectile dysfunction meds all over the place, and no one tells people how dangerous that actually is. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that <laughs> it's it's uh you know it goes back to like if the if uh, if if you just look take a step back and life wants to always keep life going and then if you look at a male who is under this amount of stress from the environment from lack of nutrients from relationships you name it and it literally can't even perform the basics of life promotion <laughs> it is it is like at the core screaming at us to change things and so then we you know people look for drugs again or some secret miracle but in reality it's system breakdown we can't even keep life moving cuz species the species just wants to keep keep moving and so we have erectile dysfunction but then we have a cascade we have an environment that's more conducive for cancer we have an environment that's proliferated into heart disease so it's just a system breakdown it's almost like life if you look at i love the work by victor schauberger where he was like very much like you know if you look at nature nature will give you all of its answers and so if you look if i step back and look at the 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 motility kind of dropping of our society the ability for us not even be able to procreate effectively um every everything down to the sperm itself can't even swim anymore uh to the to the man who can't even get a heart on anymore if you're looking that then if you take that position and look at the nature that we have created then you quickly realize that that is not a, a pro life situation it is actually a pro death situation that we've created so you know uh, you know a major major overhaul in our systems approach to um how we're taking care of ourselves and how we're taking care of our society and it's definitely not through taking another drug um it's abiding by the laws of nature and letting that govern our life and our health again absolutely well and just to expand on that concept the the fact that if the blood vessels in your penis aren't able to fill because they're narrowed that's an exact you know a mirror of your heart's health and as medics you know we have to ask people are you on viagra or anything because it's a nitrate and if I give you, um, you know, the same drug, you could bottom out your blood pressure. Well, the reason it's the same drug is it has the same effect. It's trying to open those blood vessels up to give you an erection. But you should be terrified. If it's not working, that's a huge red flag for people to say, hey, 
your heart could be next. You could you could have a heart attack. You could have a stroke. But these these vessels are narrowing, and you know if you reverse that with disease. Oh, excuse me, with disease, with uh, nutrition and exercise. Well, guess what's going to start working again? And your wife's probably going to be pretty happy too. Exactly, and hey, it's funny because I had a great long discussion with uh, this functional medicine uh, medical doctor called uh, Dr. Alex. Uh, uh, we'll call him Dr. Al- Alex Pazio. Uh, Paziotopoulos, uh, and he very much in his functional medicine practice talked in length about it is checking the endothelial uh, health of someone as a longevity principle because just like you're saying, like endothelial pressure of heart disease and going to the erection is exactly the same systemically throughout the body. So it's a system-wide fire alarm that's going off and you can check it through that endothelial response. Um, and, and number one thing he said, uh, plant-based eating. That's his number one thing. He said the endothelial response was, was miraculous just in getting people off of all this processed food and heavy uh, animal consumption and everything else. And, and of course then, you know, good algae oils and, and chia and flax, uh, and vitamin D, K2, like all of this stuff obviously is a, a cornerstone to it too. But but like you said, like this stuff can be reversed like very quickly. The body's extraordinary, but if you keep giving it signals for degeneration, it's just gonna keep going down. But if you stop it and reverse it and go in a different direction, the body will surprise you how powerful it is to make you feel better, make you feel more vital and start reversing all of this stuff. And that's what I'm constantly blown away with. Uh, you know, We've done studies getting people on plant-based nutrition and in three days, or excuse me, in, in, in 21 days, we've had uh, guys get off heart medications. We've had testosterone go up in, in men over 50 by 30%. We're talking in three weeks. By, by no medications, by giving them whole healthy plants, it's amazing. Like that's, that's what I'm astonished by, that the body's ability to recover and repair and regenerate is, is phenomenal once you give it the right blueprint. Absolutely. Well, I can testify myself. I went plant-based. Um, it was about six months. Um, and I personally then started putting in some clean, you know, either wild-caught fish or, or grass-fed meat. Um, for my own personal journey. But I have to say, I felt amazing. My blood work was incredible. I happened to get hired by a fire department. So I had like a baseline and then a post plant base. The baseline was already good. Like I eat well anyway, but this, the, the plant based one was even better to the point the doctor asked me, could I tell him how I'm eating? Cause he's never seen numbers <laughs> like that before. And that was just like you said. So I, I know it works. I had Rip Esselstyn on the show and Dr. Gregor on the show. <laughs> nice. So, but you know, ramming veganism down everyone's throats kind of causes a, a rebound um but i think understanding that even if you eat some meat if you have that rainbow of color all those vegetables on your plate you're still going to feel incredible and then that final do i eat meat at all do i eat meat a little bit then that's you can decide on your own personal journey but getting all those micronutrients back in your diet and getting rid of the processed food i think is that common ground where most people would benefit whatever their eating philosophy I can't agree more. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that guy that tells people they need to how to eat. 
like, you know, I just want to give them information uh, and let them decide. But but you're right. I mean, the thing that I will walk away with always is eat more plants. Just eat more plants. There's zero downside and so much upside. So just eat more plants, lower the amount of stressful uh, proteins it has on it. Uh, you know, the great work by uh, Dr. Uh, Walter Longo, uh, one of the great uh, longevity researchers of our time. Uh, he's like, listen, you know, it turns on mTOR. It turns on a lot of other cancer uh, – uh, activating genes at 15% over protein consumption of your overall calories. So listen, that's the, that's the research. Uh, that's what we know right now. And, uh, so I just say, listen, if you want to eat a little bit of your stuff, uh, then fine, but just eat more plants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and on your travels, I don't want to get to the, the show in a second, but on your travels, what are some of the the you know the, the cities tribes whatever it was that that you found that was some of the healthiest human beings on the planet well i mean unfortunately you know you find that the distribution arm of coca-cola which is the gnarliest most almost incredible distribution arm in the world you see our modern day world getting to places that they don't have anything else but coca-cola showed up somehow and so I've seen I've seen the detrimental effects of just that kind of thing happen, and 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 you lose out on 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 what that culture is, um, and as you know, so I've seen that more than I've seen I've been into a non-touched culture by the Western world. Um, but you know, listen, I, I I will go back to the show. I mean, those villages. In Suelo, in Sardinia, in Italy, and things like that, when you see the longevity people, you really can understand, like, you know, we're losing those. We're losing that culture because of the influence of the, the world getting smaller. We're, you know, some of these people, the longevity principles are like, yeah, they, they forged, they moved every day, uh, they ate mostly plants, um, they ate lighter at night than they did during the day. Uh, those, those I've been most impressed with. Um, but certainly being in the middle of places like uh, Bhutan, right, which is uh, you know high in the Himalayan mountains, uh, surrounded by 23 of the highest virgin, meaning unclimbed mountains in the world. Uh, being in that culture is very interesting. There was there was no overweight anybody, you know. It it was a primarily a special Buddhist culture, um, so you saw just you know so so people who are not influenced by the modern day world clearly clearly are just infinitely healthier as a people as a culture. I want to say, I, I think it was in the documentary, I think it was called I Am. It was a, a guy that was a movie director. And then he basically had this moment where, kind of like we see a lot, you know, his his life fell apart oh, Tom, physically. Tom Shadiak. Yes, yeah. And I, and yeah, he went around the world looking for, for happiness. Yeah, yeah. Tom's a, Tom's actually a good friend. Oh, like brilliant. I've, I've known, known him for, uh, you know, over a decade. 
yeah, so he had a, uh, you know, brain trauma from a mountain bike accident. That's right. And yeah, and then he spent, you know, his re re rehabbing and questioning his life and everything else and realizing that all of these things that he got from Hollywood was definitely not giving, giving him happiness. Um, so he focused on the meaning of that and it comes down to self. It comes to cultivating that self and, uh, inside yourself and being content and being on purpose, uh, and, and having a good community. It's, it's, but we literally can read that stuff and hear that stuff and not imply, apply it. And we really need to apply it because that's, and really, you know, that that's really the, the core of happiness and it, it isn't attaining things. No, exactly. And I want to say Bhutan might have been one of the places that he featured as the, the happiest place on earth. Right. So, yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the happy part. So they have a, they have a, uh, a governance system called gross national happiness. So they literally as a governing body, uh, they, they, they check every choice, whether it's an economic decision, an environmental decision, a government or a community decision. They check it by more than GDP, which is gross national product, which is just a profit uh, or loss kind of situation. They, they, they view all of their choices or at least strive to it in the best of their ability to choose like, hey, if we make this choice from a government perspective, from parliament perspective – uh, is this going to be they, – they look at more than just the bottom line. They look at how is this – how will this affect our, our people? How will this affect the community? How will this affect the environment? How will this affect our economy? How will this affect our trade with these other countries? They look at all of these things as a as a overall weight for their decision because they do believe that by looking at all of these things, that's – the generate that's what's going to create happiness not not gdp as the gold standard of happiness clearly is not the case yeah no i agree 100 percent. and people point that out you know i mean you see some of these countries where they have so much less as far as you know uh, financial resources as we do in the u.s or the uk and yet overall they seem so much happier than we do with all our materialistic you know elements and i don't mean to say that all of us are miserable but we should if that's related if there's a linear correlation we should be the happiest people on earth because we're so affluent and so wealthy but that doesn't seem to be the case <laughs> yeah it definitely doesn't <laughs> all right well speaking of your traveling i'm curious to hear about the barucas nut because of all the the kind of um you know, amazing plants and nuts and seeds that you've discovered. This seems to be the one that you've kind of held as the flagship. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, the Barucas came by way of like, which most of the other ones came by way. I wasn't looking for it. Um, I was uh, discovering and looking at some palm fruits in, in uh, eastern Brazil on the Amazon side. And, um, and then a Brazilian saw that I was out there doing something. They reached out and they said, Hey, do you know of the Sahadu and this, this nut coming out of the Sahadu and, uh, which is the Savannah of Brazil, which is three, about a third of the United States in, in it, how big it is. So it's huge. And, um, I didn't know much about it. 
uh, I certainly didn't know about the nut, which is also exciting because you can't know all of the treasures that are out there. And so he sent me some, sent me the research, sort of looking at it. Um, the research, uh, the nutritional quality was kind of blowing me away. And then when I tasted it, I was like, this is the best nut I've ever had in my life. Um, and so then, uh, sent it off to get tested, to get verified based on the research I was getting. And then it quickly realized that this nut as delicious as it was, was kind of blowing away in every category, other nuts. So it was less in fat. So a third less in calories, uh, from fat, uh, had a complete amino acid profile. It had a ridiculous amount of antioxidants, like 400% more than an almond does. Um, and about a third more fiber than any other nut. And we now know how important fiber is to our healthy microbiome. So, uh, and then of course the micronutrients, calcium, magnesium, copper, iron, manganese, uh, was, was off the chart too. So I, from all of these categories and it was a wild food, so it wasn't monocropped. It was in this, this incredible Sahadu area. And so the next question was, well, uh, is it sustainable? Is it possible to grow a business out of it um, from a wild food? Um, so you can't pre-pick it. It has to mature in in its shell uh, that has a fruit layer on the outside, but you have this hard shell and you have this small fruit layer, and then it matures the nut, one nut per fruit, and uh, it drops. So you can't pick it early. So we go back to that uh, point where it, is giving all of its nutrients at the time uh, that it falls to the ground, and then that's when you can pick it up. Uh, and so we realized that not only can we do this, we can organize uh, in the Sahadu fair, fair trade, fair wages in a huge landmass, as well as um, kind of supporting a nut that was being lost because they didn't have good mechanisms to get this out, even in their own country. Uh, and at the same time, our goal is to plant 20 million trees back into the Sahadu because it's being deforested uh, by unsustainable farming practices of meat consumption and also uh, corn and soy. Uh, so they're stripping and ripping out the Sahadu in a, in a rate that's faster than almost any landmass uh, on the planet. So it's, it's so from my perspective of seeing a lot of different things, this hit on so many different levels. It was a nut that was similar in taste to something that the American palate could, could really take on and, and, and enjoy. So it was delicious. It had a wild food component, so directly from the wild, super high in nutrients, and it was connected to a socially responsible uh, project and dream is to plant more trees in an area that needs it more than almost any area in the world. So it hit on all these marks, and so I just uh, I had to take this one all the way um, because it was too good not to and and people just uh are over the moon uh when they taste it because it's just ridiculously good brilliant where can people find that nut if they wanted to try some yeah so barucas.com b-a-r-u-k-a-s.com uh we have a 
strong subscriber base and yeah there's a few grocery stores but we haven't put picked we haven't uh chosen to you know try to get them into grocery stores we're just responding to grocery stores that want them so we really love the online community and people who love voting with their dollars and voting with this mission and getting this high quality nutrient beautiful food. well you just reminded yeah. me as well so when we're talking about all the you know the plant-based eating um, you know, one area obviously is there are other foods that you can have that give you the same kind of um, element as as you gave up. So, for example, bread. And I'm so glad on the PDF you have with the audio book that you included Ezekiel bread because that's one of the, my my go tos. I love it. But with the nuts as well, something that we've discovered recently is almond flour. And my wife's been you know going down this rabbit hole of baking with almond flour now and baking you know almond flour breads and cakes and all these things. So I didn't realize how versatile nuts were to to grind up and bake with as well, so you don't have that processed carb. Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love the fact that the industry is creating more opportunity um, and uh, getting away from you know listen you. you dealing with flowers and glutens and gluten sensitivities and, and, and food sensitivities and food allergies and stuff. So if you can create things that, that are not having that, uh, same reaction, uh, then, and are safer for people and better from a micronutrient macronutrient profile, it's certainly, uh, certainly great. Absolutely. Well, I think that's another concept that is good to kind of illustrate why maybe some of the stuff we're eating is wrong is imagine ancient humans and we had to wake up and hunt and gather you know whatever we were doing but steve can't go out hunting because he's sneezing because he's got allergies you know and brian's got an upset stomach so he can't go out gathering you know it just it wouldn't be an option you have to get up every day and function so if you are getting allergies or gi distress there's a 99 percent chance it's coming probably from something to do with your diet mm, totally Absolutely. And the, and the breakdown, the exposure, right? So you could have been exposed to antibiotics. You could have been exposed to over-the-counter drugs. You could have been exposed to glyphosate at any point. It can rip open that uh, and cause inflammation within that, that cellular wall trying to d absorb nutrients. So there could be a whole cascade of things that are then making it difficult for you to break down many foods that may have nothing to do, may have nothing to do with the actual food itself, but just the mechanism that's been disrupted and the inflammatory response that hasn't been kind of dealt with. So food sensitivities and food allergies are a big deal right now. And it doesn't always have to be uh, the, the foods itself. Obviously, ones that have GMOs and, and other chemicals, those are, that's a different story. But, but, but sometimes you just have to, you have to stop eating food that you're always reacting to because you don't want to keep fueling the fire and then restore and replenish and, and repair your digestive system again. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to transition to the, the show. So Netflix just showed your show with Zac Efron, Down to Earth. So how did that come about? Yeah, so that's a funny story because uh, it was my second appearance on Rich Roll podcast. I don't know what year that was, maybe 2015, 2016. Um, so I did a fun uh, podcast with Rich and it came out and, and – uh, Rich got a message from one of his friends who's an Olympian swimmer that's a mutual friend of Zach Efron's and said, hey, Zach was really touched by Darren and what he said on the show. 
and is it okay if uh, I give Zach uh, Darren's cell phone? So Rich reached out and like, hey, is it cool? Blah blah blah. I said, sure. Why why not? Uh, and and I, I forgot about it. So then months later, uh, Zach texted me. And he was just very sweet in the text. He goes, hey, what you're saying really resonated, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to connect. Uh, so I said, yeah, this, for sure. Let's go have lunch. Uh, and we had I don't know, a couple hours of just uh, getting into it at lunch. And he was this, just this sweet, open uh, kid that um, was asking a lot of questions about what I was up to and what I was doing. And, um, and then just at the very end. It was like, um, he said, what else are you up to? Something like that. And I said, yeah, I have this idea for the show. Um, people have been wanting to, you know, threatening to do a superfood hunting show from with me for a while. But, but I really want to expand it into the environment as well as the importance of uh, superfoods and, 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 and uh, your, your inner ecosystem. And so he heard that concept uh and he called me a couple a couple hours later and said hey i have this standing deal with netflix and uh but it was a show concept that i don't really like and i don't want to do it and so i talked to the team and they agreed to let you to, to bring you on and change this concept and have it uh, directed towards uh what you're talking about so we we melded these two stories. So they had this structure of this, of this show already. And we melded their ideas with my ideas and, and boom, uh, next thing you know, uh, and we talked for months and months and months at that point and, and, and got to know each other. And, and then eventually we pre-production and got this show going and then spent, you know, three and a half months or so on the road together. Yeah, well, I I loved it. It was funny, just as the the kind of the way it worked. My wife and I watched it. We pretty much binge watched most of it, to be honest. And then you know, I called Josh Brolin, who's a, a mutual friend, and I had on the show. We we <laughs> ended up, right. yeah, we became good friends. He actually just wrote the forward to my book. So anyone listening, this is the this is news because no one knows that yet. Um, That's beautiful. But um, yeah. So then, literally ten minutes after watching you and Zach, I'm talking to you on the phone, which was brilliant as well. But I love the concept. I I've had people on here from Norway that have the most progressive prison system, from Portugal that decriminalized drugs and. Over, you know, reverse their um, addiction epidemic from Finland talking about education. You know, I mean, there's so many countries out there that are doing incredible things. And I think that if we as a world can have the humility, each country to learn from each other, there are solutions to almost everything out there. 100%. Uh, I would, I would underscore, emphasize and say, we have the solutions already. I know way too many people uh, in food sovereignty and power systems, microgridding systems, um, uh, other ways of growing food and all of this stuff. Like we, we have the solutions, the, the power needs outside of fossil fuel. We have them. There, there's a lot of things that we have that we haven't implemented. So I agree 100%. Um, so it's not that we, we need to bring in the brilliance of a lot of people together and work towards these systems. We can absolutely do it. But again, we have our priorities upside down. Um, and if we mobilize and, and create a movement towards this, 
in more and more ways, then we can absolutely do this uh, from the inside out, meaning we don't have to rely on the governments to think that they're going to come in and do the right thing. They're not doing the right thing. We already know what the wrong things are. So there are systems like this. We need to support those people in those countries doing the right things. And that's what I love about the show because it really it took a step in that right direction to, to reveal there's some incredible people doing some incredible things. Yeah. And you've got to use some imagination too. A big pushback I get, oh, well, that worked in Norway, but that would never work here. All right. Well, the NHS in England, we're like, okay, well, then change it, make it work. All you got to do is, is, you know, tweak it to whatever you think is going to work. But I disagree. I think we're all human beings. So once you trust it, it probably will work just, you know, way better than you realize. Well, yeah, 100%. You know, one system is not, we're definitely not saying one system is going to fit fit for everything. We need multiple systems, many different systems working. But we realize that if you invest in those systems, you can find those systems that work for those countries, for those areas. And that's that's absolutely true. But if you're not going to apply yourself or put funds or create committees or communities or groups or leaders in those areas to create alternatives, of course, nothing's going to happen. So, so it is not a one system that applies to everything, every country. It's realizing that's the same thing with realizing what your unique island, what your unique country, what your unique community is, what are those needs? And that's where we need to stop looking at the macro and start focusing on the micro. And we can micro our way back to sovereignty again. Food, water, power, uh, uh, economic sovereignty. All of these things, we can gain our power back. And that's definitely something we need to do. Absolutely. Well, one of the pushbacks I get with um, you know local farms, like, well, how are we going to feed LA? Well, firstly... Let's feed the other 95% of the country that has arable, you know, land around them. And then if there's probably enough surplus that we can then transport food into the more urban areas. And then, like you said, there's all those, those ingenious, um, ways of actually growing within an urban setting as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, then transitioning to something I saw you just, you just released. I want to give some airtime of this to the one, two, one tribe. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So that that came by way of uh, a, an amazing group that reached out a few years ago and said, hey, we have access to this incredible technology. Um, we w- love to create a, a system approach around your book, you know, around super life and around uh, functional training, around uh, creating delicious recipes, uh, around uh, habit forming tracking systems, around education all in one platform. So, so we launched the first program of many and other other masters that will come on the the kind of from master class idea. So yeah, the 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 super life program on the one to one tribe is is you know it's it's three weeks of people getting these delicious recipes, uh, uh, grocery lists. Uh, water tracking and videos so I'm virtually going with you the entire way and and our response is just phenomenal Uh, people are just really loving it Um, and it you know it's taken a long time a couple years to develop and it came out at a perfect time certainly during during COVID so we're super happy with that and now we're 
taking kind of some of the response and developing other portals and platforms to help kind of like the super life warrior kind of aspect of, uh, okay, you're taking care of yourself, but now how do you initiate more movement towards the environment, um, and, and a community based effort. So we're, we're developing some stuff right now to respond to more of that as well. Brilliant. Where can people find that? So yeah, you can go to one, two, one, like the number one, two, one tribe, Dot com. Uh, you download the app, and the cool thing is we give you three free days. Uh, so you can download the app with no, no cost uh, and, and try it out. And if you want uh, to continue and take a three-week journey with us, then you can just uh, sign up for the rest of it and unlock it, and uh, away you go. Beautiful. Well, I want to transition to some closing questions so I can let you go. But just before we do, the very last uh, chapter of the show details you losing your home in one of the wildfires in California. So, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, firefighters listening. Um, you know, what was the aftermath of that like for you? <laughs> uh, well, it was shocking, obviously, when it happened. Uh, and you know, as you're just kind of getting through the grieving process and realizing like, you know, if if people don't know. So I was on, I was filming the last episode of the show and, and uh, found out uh, that the house burned down when I was uh, out of the country. And, and so I lost, so the only thing I had was the vehicle I drove to the airport and the suitcase and uh, with me and I lost all my other possessions. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a, gnarly challenging thing and and so the grief part of that is is a very healthy and necessary aspect but but i have to say that kind of coming through the grief and realizing that this didn't necessarily i wasn't taking the position that this happened to me and it did happen but but what was the what's the opportunity and this was not something i asked right away this was something that came through the healthy grieving process and then i realized well, um, I've always wanted to rebuild uh, differently and demonstrate how to to better build in an ecological place like this. Uh, have uh, my own power systems, so I don't have to rely on any monopoly. So it set me up. It set me and grow my own food in a more balanced way with the house, and so it just set me up to do everything that I actually wanted for this property. Um, cause I'm sitting on about 50 acres in the Malibu mountains. And so it, so that was number one, but number two, it, it, it increased my resolve to why I'm here and that's to help people, uh, not, of course get healthy, uh, but also to double down for me on getting some of these, uh, environmental, uh, awarenesses out there and also technology. Uh, because I know too many people, I've been touched by too many things. Uh, so I've uh, spent the last uh, year and a half uh, really vetting a lot of technologies, supporting technologies, and and learning about a lot of different systems. So I, I wouldn't take it back. Actually, um, uh, it was impossible to stop this fire. So there's no blame uh, to anyone other than the the monopolies derelict power poles is where the where the dam it wasn't like a, an electric storm happened from lightning it actually happened by by 
corporation error. So that's a little unnerving uh, that it happened that way. But in terms of stopping the fire, it, it was impossible. But uh, I'm I'm building and and doing things a lot differently because of the ecology and the ecosystem that I live in. Brilliant. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm sorry that you lost your home, but it's it's very powerful hearing you know the kind of out of the ashes story. Absolutely, and I and I wouldn't take that back for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, then to the book then. So your book is Super Life. Um, I've listened on the audiobook version and there's a PDF attached to that, which has, you know, a whole bunch of uh, information on the kind of principles behind it and then a load of recipes. So tell people how they can find the, the physical copy and then and then uh, in any other areas they can find it. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously it's all over Amazon. It's Barnes and Noble. If people are even going into all of those places again, it, it's uh uh, so you can find digital, you can find the digital print, you can find the book, uh, physical copies, you can find the uh, audio. Uh, and we're trying to now move towards the Spanish copies and get those. We've got a lot of requests. But we're, it's great. We, we're so stoked. It went to the New York Times bestseller. And I can't be more happy of people getting more of that information. Beautiful. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. All right. So then the first closing question I'd love to ask, is there a book written by someone else that you love to recommend? It can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a book called, uh, I mean, I don't know if people might nerd this out, but Healing is Voltage, uh, which, uh, what's his name? Uh, he's an ophthalmologist, he's actually an eye doctor. Uh, so he talks about how everything comes down to the microvolts uh, of food and the conduction. So if you're eating dead food, you have no conduction of uh, creating healthy cells. So that's a very – so healing is voltage is a fun, uh, fun one. Uh, and I would say – I mean if anyone wants to dive into – literally dive into water, the fifth – uh, phase of water by Dr. Gerald Pollack is it will blow your mind in terms of what water is. Um, so that, that, that would be a fun one as well. Brilliant. I haven't heard of those two before. So I'll definitely <laughs> get them. Actually, my wife's in the op optometry school now. So she's probably be interested in healing as voltage too. Oh boy. Yeah. She'll like it. Brilliant. All right. Then is there a movie that you love? <laughs> uh, yeah, how do you not like? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Gladiator comes to mind. What a great freaking Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator! And of course, you know, you know what I love, Forrest Gump, and I love it for this reason, because he's open, right? He's like living fully, all every time, and then these things come to him, and he just says yes to it, and it opens up this whole another thing so forrest gump gladiator beautiful it's funny that circles around to the beginning of the conversation because i think the one thing forrest had is he didn't listen to people telling him he couldn't do something 100 percent. brilliant all right then what about a uh, documentary any of those that you love aside from uh, down to earth on netflix <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i just watched um was it planet earth or that one i know there I is one the... there is one called planet earth like i think it's an english one bbc i think that yeah one? that's the one yeah. planet earth was just 
mind blowing. I love that one. And this guy, I think Planet Earth one and two or something like that. Excellent. All right. Then the next question is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? You know, uh, someone would be great Randy Wallace. Randy Wallace, who uh, wrote Braveheart. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, wrote many things. Suit a lot. And he's still very active. So, uh, so Randy Wallace would be fun. He's got an incredible storyteller. He's very, very connected to first responders, uh, military. Uh, he's, uh, we've got mutual friends in, in that area. Uh, and that's, of course, I would have said uh, Josh Brolin because he's a friend of mine, but you already had him on and that's how we got connected. So <laughs> Yes, yeah, he was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think, I'm hoping we'll do one again one day. So. But, uh, Love that guy. Yeah, I mean, so down to earth. Actually, I mean, that's what's seen. I don't know, you know, obviously we, we get a certain lens, but it seemed like um, Zac Efron was as well. It seemed like someone that was raised in the, the Disney world, but kind of had an epiphany of, of the bigger world. 100%. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the story that I didn't say. And, and the reason why I chose to, I didn't want to do my show that was very serious to me with an actor. Like, you know what I mean? Philosophically, I didn't want to do that. But because Zach wanted to use his platform for good and he cared and uh, I, I, he was genuine uh, and I got to know him, like that was a no brainer. So, yeah, I mean, Zach's a very sweet, caring, empathetic person that, you know, listen, he has his own challenges with the dealing with the intensity of his fame. And that's that's hard. Like that's. But but the fact that he's looks past uh, that as allowed to be healthy with that and wants to use his platform is is phenomenal and he did and I'm grateful for him for doing that. Yeah, no, definitely, and and dear me to his uh, just to him as a human being because obviously we all see the facade of these people in in you know on our on our screens, but when you find just like him, like you know John Cena. Um, you know Tom Hardy, and you see they've actually do all this altruistic stuff behind the scenes. I think that's what really that's what draws me to people like Josh. I don't care that you're in you know movie X; it's the fact that you're using that to do good things in the world. Yeah, Josh is through and through just a real dude, and I love that guy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then, last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you: What do you do to decompress? Well, luckily, I'm out. I'm out in nature all the time. So, um, I just get out. I, uh, you know, I'm on this 50 acres. I get out with my dog. Uh, and that's usually the balance. I have to just make sure that I don't overschedule myself, that I'm getting outside and I'm in bare feet and, and literally just doing some work on the property, jumping on a tractor, throwing on a chainsaw, uh, jumping on a mountain bike. Um, but just, you know, sitting, breathing in, in nature in some form. Love it. I love the barefoot thing too. I talk about that all the time. It's like people are kind of <laughs> grossed out when you're not wearing shoes, but <laughs> so that shouldn't be abnormal. Exactly. That's their, that's their shit, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then for people um, that want to learn more about you, we find the book. Well, let's just go over all the sites. Um, so for the nut, for the one to one tribe and then anywhere on social media, they can find you. Yeah, so DarrenOlean.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to put out a bunch of cool information on that. Um, 
and then uh, Barukas, B-A-R-U-K-A-S.com, and then social media. I'm trying to get them to use my real name. Well, it's my real name, but they have this underscore. So at underscore DarrenOlean.com through all of the social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. Brilliant. Well, Darren, I just want to say thank you so much. You got, you know, you got a phone call from a random English guy and, you know, so kind to to come on the show. But I think it's it's perspectives like yours that are invaluable when we're told so many times over and over again information that's just not correct. It's not healing. It's not going to bring, you know, health and wellness, whether it's physical or mental, to the people of the world. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking to the audience today. Oh, man, thank you. And I just want to give a shout out to the respect, the honor that I have for the first responders. Man, I'm just uh, infinitely grateful for the work that they do every day and the and the, the daily stuff that they don't get recognized for. Um, so it's a special group of people. And I just want to say I'm, I'm grateful to uh, to share a little time with them and yourself. <laughs> <laughs>